0: Welcome to Inside the Writer's Cafe. I'm Cheryl Nason. Our show features the hottest authors and introduces you, our listeners, to exciting new authors talking about themselves and their latest work. Our show today is about music, family, and angels. Author Ross Kelly, in his book, What's Your Favorite Song? The Life, Family, and Music of George and Emma Kelly?, gives readers a behind-the-scenes look at what it was like to grow up in a show business family of 10 children who performed with their talented mother, Emma Kelly. Although their lives often bordered on being out of control, the Kelly children were brought up according to a set of principles that gave order to the chaos and that could serve as a guide for families today. Josie, is not only the title of the novel by Fred Warren, but it's also the name of the main character. The book is the story of 12-year-old Josie Spencer, who has a secret so big she can hardly keep it. Who could she possibly confide in? Can she tell her mother? Will the secret change her? And the most important question of all, what is Josie's secret? Emma Kelly was known as the Lady of 6,000 Songs, and joining us today is author Ross Kelly, one of her 10 children. Growing up, Ross and his brothers and sisters performed in their mother's musical shows. Currently, Ross is the founder and managing director for Emma Said Productions, a nonprofit enterprise that's dedicated to promoting the art of songwriting. He's with us today to talk about his new book, What's Your Favorite Song? The Life, Family, and Music of George and Emma Kelly. Ross, welcome.
1: Thank you very much, Cheryl great to be here
0: oh it's a pleasure and the book is so interesting it's a history and it's a biography and 10 children i mean it just must have been an absolute circus growing up in your house
1: i think that's a good way to describe it it certainly was a circus atmosphere uh, both in inside the house and when we're on the road doing song and dance routines
0: your mom was an extraordinary woman she was a prodigy. And when I read in the book that there was a piano in the house and her mother was in the kitchen and one day she heard Jesus loves me on the piano and she walked in and there was your mother who had never, she was three, she'd never had a piano lesson and she was picking this out on the piano. That's an amazing story.
1: Yeah, her her skills were recognized early and Her mother, fortunately, uh, helped nurture those skills and to let her become the the musician and entertainer that she became.
0: What made you decide to write this book, Ross?
1: Cheryl, uh, as you know, uh, I'm from a large musical family, and that family today, between the 10 kids that mother and dad raised and our children and grandchildren, our family now numbers almost 100 people. Wow. And the initial uh, catalyst for writing this was for my children and grandchildren and for the children and grandchildren of my brothers and sisters who know very much about the way we grew up but did not know uh, mother and dad personally. So it's it was initially designed to serve as as a historical context and legacy for them. And it sort of grew from there because there were a lot of people around Savannah and Statesboro where we grew up in South Georgia that knew mother and knew our family and showed more and more interest. And so it just snowballed from there.
0: What was it like growing up in that kind of atmosphere? You and I were talking before we started recording and you said that your family was a poor version of the Von Trott family. Explain that a little bit.
1: Well, um, having 10 children and having 10 children with musical talent, Mother knew how to to take advantage of that very well. And uh, so we all grew up uh, being trained as singers and dancers and musicians and uh, doing song and dance routines. And so when Mother would perform uh, around Savannah or Statesboro or South Georgia or any place else she was performing, and there was an opportunity to put uh, her 10 kids on the stage with her then she would certainly do it. So we spent a lot of time growing up uh, in addition to juggling our our normal lives of school and everything else we were doing. We spent a lot of time on the road traveling around to small towns and just doing song and dance routines.
0: Did you enjoy it?
1: We loved it. Uh, probably we we love it and enjoy it and appreciate it more now than we did at the time because uh, when you're trying to grow up and become teenagers and do the normal things that teenagers do, and but yet you have to go and do a song and dance routine in some small town a hundred miles away. You don't necessarily appreciate it then, but in hindsight, it is probably uh, the single strongest bond that the ten of us have together. Uh, we are still very close, and we attribute much of that that musical legacy and and performing on stage together for all those years.
0: Has that legacy continued throughout the family?
1: It has, Cheryl. The amazing thing is we are now into the third and fourth generation of our family, and it seems like the musical genes get stronger and stronger. Uh, They've not diminished at all. We have kids and grandkids that are even more talented than the 10 of us and in some respects could rival mother's talent. So yes, it has continued. I'd say the the greatest aspect of of all of this is the legacy that mother and dad left, and like I said, that now numbers almost a hundred people in terms of our family, and the musical genes that are inherent in those a hundred folks is just incredible. We have kids uh, and grandkids that are performing on stage today, and, uh, and that uh, pro- professional dancers, professional singers. It's incredible.
0: That's amazing. I mean, it's just amazing. It sounds like, I don't know, it reminds me of of some of the old-time families who were like the Barrymores who were uh, so famous for being actors on the stage, and they did that through the generations. Drew Barrymore is one of those descendants, and it sounds like you have the same kind of thing going with your family.
1: We do indeed. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see how our children and grandchildren uh, continue this because they certainly have the talent and they have the same interest and desire with with their uh, musical performances that we did. Uh, So it's going to be fun to watch. It is fun to watch today, and it will continue to be.
0: Let's talk a little bit about what you've put in the book. Is there one particular funny story that stands out for you from the book?
1: Um, there are probably a dozen stories, most of them having to do with our uh, escapades being on the road. <laughs> this is back in the in the late fifties, early sixties, and early seventies, and so imagine eight, nine, ten of us crammed into a car, traveling from Statesboro, Georgia, to Cross, Georgia, or Jessup, Georgia, or any small town, traveling back roads. And invariably the car would break down and invariably we'd have to find a phone in some farmers house because there's no phone booth no cell phones to call our dad and have him come rescue us at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning <laughs> so, so we had several of those kinds of experiences that uh, that are referenced in the book
0: what are the age range of the, the kids in the book
1: uh, our span is 22 years our oldest uh, sister uh, yeah there's 22 years between the oldest and the youngest so and I guess that's the other aspect of the thing of the family and the nature of the book and the nature of our lives growing up think about mother being on the road performing music four and five nights a week and at the same time not only raising ten kids but giving birth to ten kids We always had babies in the family, and we always were traveling with babies. So between the oldest and the youngest, we had virtually every age range you can imagine.
0: You divided the book into four sections, and I read the excerpt on Amazon, and if our listeners are curious about the book. They can just go to Amazon.com and they can put in what's your favorite song, and your name is so easy to spell. It's just Ross, R-O-S-S, then capital K-E-L-L-Y for Kelly. And they can pull up an excerpt from the book. And I thought that it was very, very interesting. You chose four sections. You said before there was a lady of 6,000 songs... And then, what that intrigued me was rules of the house. What's that about? Mm.
1: Uh, it, it is about the, the foundational principles in terms of how mother and dad raised us. Uh, if you can imagine trying to manage 10 kids, they did not micromanage us at all, but they held us accountable to some fundamental standards that were given. So that, uh, edicts of the way we would grow up and the way we would behave. And so what you see there is listed some of those those basic givens. You will go to church. You will get an education. You will learn music. You will behave. You will help your brothers and sisters. You will raise your own money. So those are sort of the rules of the house that, that governed what what their expectations were. And they held us accountable to those expectations.
0: Oh, gosh, uh, you'd, you'd have to. <laughs> you'd have to. I yes. mean, with 10 people that are children in a house, it would be utter chaos if you did not have rules of the house. And I thought that that was a terrific chapter that you put in there. I was glad to see it.
1: Thank you. That's it, it, You know, the other aspect of that is that if you think about the 10 of us, the first four of the 10 were girls. And that's probably uh, a divine providence because uh, those four older sisters helped raise the rest of us. So that was another aspect of just managing the house. So if you were to talk to my four older sisters, they would have a lot of stories on their own in terms of their own responsibilities, not only for themselves, but for their younger brothers and sisters as well.
0: Oh, I'll bet. Now, I'm curious about Emma Said Productions. Tell me about that.
1: Emma Said Productions is a nonprofit that is designed to uh, help live the legacy of mother and dad. So uh, everything we do within Emma Said Productions is in support of honoring them and honoring our family. This book is a byproduct of that uh, mother's affiliation with Johnny Mercer, who was perhaps the greatest songwriter in in American history. Um, it, it it makes songwriting and music close to our hearts. And so MS Ed Productions provides, uh, assistance to aspiring songwriters. It performs, uh, stage productions, uh, this book. And so a whole host of things related to the arts in general, music in particular, uh, is is what emma said productions is about uh, and it's all designed to to just honor the legacy of of our family and and our parents
0: if our listeners want to find out more about emma said productions more about you more about the book more about your mother is there a website that they can go to
1: there is a website, and it is called com. That's E-M-M-A-S-A-I-D, productions, all one word, uh, dot com, and, and that's where you can find the book. That's where you can find other stories and other information regarding what Emma Said Productions does as well as other aspects of the book and other projects that we're working on as well.
0: Now, the book is available, as I said, on Amazon. Where else could they find the book besides your website and Amazon?
1: Well, it's available in all the brick-and-mortar locations, Books and Noble, as well as uh, all of the online sites. So it's available pretty much anywhere you would find books, uh, online or in stores. Uh, We provide uh, signed copies of the book through Emma Said Productions, as well as a personal handwritten note from Jimmy Carter, uh, is also provided in in the book from Emma Said Productions. Oh, that's Mother fabulous! Yeah, Mother performed for for him uh, when not only when he was governor, but when he became president. So Mother celebrity took us into some places and gave us some reach uh, and access that we're certainly trying to take advantage of. You know, Clint Eastwood did the, produced the movie version of Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. And he and mother became very close friends because of his musical background. And so the two of them during the filming of the movie uh, developed a very close relationship. Her relationship with Johnny Mercer as well as other dignitaries uh, has given us access to take advantage of for uh, for some of our projects today.
0: Tell me a little bit more about your mother's affiliation with the movie Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil because our our listeners may not know about it.
1: Yeah, Midnight <laughs> in the Garden of Good and Evil was a, a book written about uh, the store, a story about the city of Savannah and some of its characters. The author was John Barrett and it became one of the all time bestsellers on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, and John, when he came down to Savannah to write the book, met Mother and wound up devoting a chapter in the book to Mother uh, called The Lady of 6,000 Songs. Uh, and then when Clint Eastwood purchased the movie rights and produced the movie and came to Savannah to perform the movie, he met Mother and decided to put her in the movie performing uh, as herself. So Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil is probably the single most catalyst in terms of mother celebrity status that she realized before she passed away uh... so it's, it's certainly been a catalyst not only for, for her uh... and her celebrity but it was also a catalyst for writing this book as well
0: well and our listeners if they have never seen your mother perform this would be an opportunity for them to see her in film
1: that is correct that is correct
0: Now, you've done the social media. I'm very proud of you, Ross. You've done all of the social media. So many authors don't take advantage of that. I know that you're on Facebook. I know that you're on Instagram. I know that you're doing Twitter. Tell our listeners how they might touch base with you.
1: Well, to your point, uh, we have a managing director for MSED Productions, a woman named Brandy Harvey, who is responsible for all of this activity that you just described. But you can find us uh, through MSED Productions on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, or you can find us through What's Your Favorite Song, the title of the book, uh, through those sources as well. Uh, so we've certainly tried to reach out. Uh, and we're trying to do that with all of our projects, but this project in particular through social media.
0: I think that that's so very smart of you because, in this day and time, in order to really reach people, you have to have a strong presence on social media. So, congratulations for seeing that and for making that possible for our listeners. One more question. When the the listeners pick up a copy of the book and become readers and they read the book, when they finish, do you want to have simply entertained them with a, a story about a wonderful individual? Or is there something else that you'd like for them to take away from that book?
1: I would like them to take away, first of all, uh, those rules of the house that we talked about earlier. And I preface this by saying, Cheryl, that uh, the way we were raised, I'm certainly certain that uh, child psychologists would not recommend that for other families. (laughs) But there are some foundational principles in terms of the way we were raised uh, that I think have some universal value. I guess I would also like them to appreciate the fact that the 10 of us have remained as close together as we have all of these years and the fact that that has translated into this larger extended family that's now into its third and fourth generation, have also maintained that same closeness and that same love of music and family and how mother's and dad's legacy, probably more than her celebrity and more than anything the 10 of us did, their legacy in terms of where we are today as a family is probably the most significant thing to me.
0: Well, Ross, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. The book is a wonderful story about your mom, your family. There are some terrific stories about coming of age and growing up, and I want to thank you so much for being with us today on Inside the Writer's Cafe.
1: Cheryl, thank you very much.
0: You're listening to Inside the Writer's Cafe, brought to you on webtalkradio.net. Fred Warren is a graduate of the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. He always wanted to write since he was in the eighth grade and he received an A on a book essay. Fred has three passions in his life, his family, coaching youth athletics, and writing. He's joining me today to talk about his new novel, Josie. Fred, welcome hey it's great to be with you well let's start off by giving our listeners an overview of what josie is about
2: sure uh, Josie is uh, about a twelve year old girl josie Spencer a normal everyday twelve uh, year old girl that you would encounter uh, in any in any town any city uh, and Josie discovers uh, a brand new world, an entirely new world, kind of in line with uh, every 12-year-old as they start to kind of understand the world in a more abstract way. It was actually written for my daughter um, as she was starting to kind of understand more complicated things and and just the world around her and see it in a different way. And and Josie kind of follows that same mindset where uh, the the story itself follows Josie as she discovers that she is in fact an angel and we've all kind of come to be taught or learn about angels as being the spirits of those who have have passed away and and in the story we find that there's a different context and that there are uh, some angels that live along with us and see things that we as everyday regular people cannot see and she learns to utilize this ability to see other things, to help those around her. Um, and in doing so, it forces her to figure out who she can share this secret with, who she can trust, how will people perceive her, and also as uh, she tries to learn of those pressures and, and how to deal with them, uh, it's, it's really just kind of a story that is about her growing up in the context of seeing things all that
0: differently. I really enjoyed the way you started the book off because you have her as a little 12-year-old girl sitting there thinking about all the things that kids think about. She's thinking about homework that she got from her teacher today, and she's thinking about a story that her friend told her about a two-headed turtle. She's not sure that she's fallen for that story, and so she asked questions about it. I really liked the way you started off because it gave us as a reader, sort of an insight into Josie's 12-year-old brain. And it made her a more real character, I think. So good job at the very beginning of the book pulling the reader into Josie's world.
2: Well, thank you very much. That's very kind of you to say. Uh, It was something that um, uh, the first chapter was something that I wrote, rewrote, and rewrote again and again, probably uh, I, I would say six or seven times before I I felt like it was a good start to the story that I wanted to tell. And, um, you know, having a daughter who's right around that same age, it was good to be able to kind of do some quote-unquote research by just having some conversations with her about, uh, you know, her day or things that would go on. So it ended up working out really well from that standpoint, so I'm glad that it translated to to you when you read it.
0: Oh, it did very well. And I wondered, did she inspire you to write the book?
2: it was It was really a combination of of things, um as I said, you know, my daughter getting to that point um, just from a natural biological development where the brain starts to get to the point where they can where, where children can start to understand things and move out of that concrete operations to a more complicated view of the world. It was her learning to see things and ask questions that showed that she was starting to do that, as well as uh, you know an unfortunate event where my my grandmother josephine. Uh, passed away, and it was kind of a convergence of those convergence of those two things that led me on to this story, um, and it ended up being just a, a wonderful, uh, you know, experience for me because I felt that um, through the story I'm able to kind of demonstrate or, or show her some things that are important as she grows up, but at the same time, you know, still. Have that image of of my grandmother in my mind, so it's it 's kind of worked out for me and and the inspiration kind of came from both of them
0: well josie hasn 't had a really happy life at, at this point in in her uh, young life of twelve years because she 's lost her dad, and so you paint that picture of a child that 's lost her father she 's experienced that that real sense of pain and loss and she still misses her dad but she's just now beginning to come out of that pain and that loss and she still has her mom and she and her mom are very close and when Josie discovers the secret, she has this conversation with Mr. Stone down the street uh, because there's an incident that occurs in the neighborhood, and she views it in a very interesting way, and she and Mr. Stone are the only two to see this, and she's uh, she's hoist on her own petard, as it were. She can't decide whether to tell her mother about this or not because she and her mother have been pretty honest with each other to this point in time. She's told her a few little stories here and there, but she's sort of struggling a little bit with how much should I tell mom about what's going on?
2: Right. Right. And that's, and that's really kind of, you know, I think been one of those things that I've seen as indicative again, as my daughter kind of goes through, uh, that growing up phase of what things do I share and what things do I keep and and how big of a deal is this and oh this is something that I can keep under control and I can deal with this myself and so I think that it um, I think that it was a realistic aspect but it also it also um, you know helps kind of drive the story and and as she's trying to figure it up and or figure it out and, and realize you know that she's kind of growing up during the process and there's one line in there where you know she talks about. You know, being being a big girl and being an you know, adult, and, and adults <laughs> have secrets, and and so I I think it was you know I think it just sticks along with that whole th- that whole idea of growing up and maturing, and and um and then also it, it kind of inca- it, it encapsulates that idea of trust and who can you trust and you know this is a big deal and and so it, it was a lot of things in there, but I, I think the the challenging part was to try to write it in a way that. Um, you know an adult would enjoy and enjoy reading with their child but at the same time that a child would fully understand
0: I agree with you. I think you've done that. Because when I when I began to read the story, I dropped right into the story, and I was right there with Josie. And I think I'm an adult. Some days I am, and some days I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a good thing. I know. I dropped right <laughs> in there with Josie. And I, I sat there, and as she was uh, walking down the street and saw this strange guy walking uh, down the street, and, and she and Mr. Stone sort of had this bonding experience. And then she begins to really sort of doubt me. Mr. Stone is the person that talks to her about angels. Where did this idea for creating a, a, an earth angel, as it were, if you'll pardon the pun on the old song back in the 50s, where did, sure. where did the idea uh, of how to create this whole angel idea come from?
2: It really boiled down to the, you know, kind of the age-old um, story of, of good versus evil. And I think that as kids um, go through you know childhood and, and early adolescence, there's so many challenges that they're faced with where it really kind of boils down to, you know, good versus bad, or doing the right thing versus doing the wrong thing. And so kind of taking that whole notion and then putting kind of like a, a storytelling spin or a fantasy, uh, fantasy spin on it is really kind of what led me to the course of a couple days trying to figure out that process, Um, and that's what led me to that.
0: There had to be a character like Mr. Stone who helps her understand what's happening. Where did the idea for him come from? Is there a a person that you use to write him, or is he just purely a, a fictional idea that came out of your imagination?
2: uh the the older the, the point of the character being older is, is intended to be um that he's got these life lessons and he's you know there to kind of tutor her through this which i didn't think that someone who was younger would be able to do at least uh, from a storytelling standpoint in terms of uh the the, the idea for him uh, it's similar to the idea for that kind of came about with my with my grandmother passing. Uh, I had a, a, a very dear friend uh, years ago who had passed away, and so that character is more of an homage to him. So, again, it was a combination of things from real life as well as how to kind of morph that into a way that would allow me to tell the story that I wanted to tell um, that, that brought him to, to fruition.
0: And, I, you know, they always say that, authors write things that they know and I think characters that have some sort of reality for us as as writers that we write them better and that they will have more of that smack of reality on the page than something that just comes strictly from imagination
2: yeah I totally agree and it's and it's obviously you know that that interesting balance between being able to take some of those real life experiences And then be able to meld them so that they do have uh, a a different feel or a a original feel. Um, But I think any of those situations, even if you're writing something, um, you know, that takes place in the future and and an age that we can't fully understand now, there's still it all boils down to individuals and characters and interactions between characters. And I think that there's you know there's something about that that if we don't bring that as a writer. you know, our experiences to that, there's going to be a part of it that's not sincere. And I think that that's, uh, you know, a shame when that happens.
0: I agree. And I I think also one of the the things that I had the feeling about is the, the generational moving on. We've got Mr. Stone, who's the older character, and now here Josie is coming up sort of behind him as the new age, the new generation. And so it has that cycle of life coming of age quality to the book as well
2: yeah there's definitely a part of that, and i think uh I think you know today's technology is really kind of probably the biggest example that we all face in that, whereas you know things that uh it it's that same mentality, so there's things that Mr stone uh can share with josie um experiences that he's had to kind of lead her through what she's facing. Um, But at the same time, there's things that she would be able to do, she will be able to do, that he can't even fathom because there's just a, when you're younger, there's a sense of I can do anything, and there's no necessarily limitations. There's not as many limitations that we, you know, provide on ourselves. So uh, I do foresee that, you know, being something that kind of continues to to grow, you know, as the story, you know, continues. But it's really that, that idea of, you know, that generational piece that you you brought up, and I think that that's a, a great spot on your part because that's really some of the intent of the book.
0: Thank you. I'm I'm glad I'm an intelligent reader. <laughs> <laughs> now, if our listeners want to know more about you and the book, I I went to Amazon and I put your name in with the title of the book, and it comes right up, and I'm able to read a really nice excerpt. So it would. Your name is very simple. I don't even need to spell it. It's just Fred Warren, exactly the way it sounds. And the title of the book is J-O-S-I-E, Josie. So if they put that in to the Amazon website, it'll come up there. But where else is it available, Fred?
2: Uh, it's available at, um, at my website, uh, which is uh, fredwarrenwrites.com. So we can get to it from that standpoint. Um, there's uh, there's links to get to places where you can buy it. There, it's also available on AuthorHouse.com. Uh, AuthorHouse is the company that's helping me go through the self-publishing avenue, and um, and then it's available currently uh, at some bookstores locally where I am uh, here in Massachusetts. And I am working with uh, with AuthorHouse to try to make that more of a national. Um, uh, Campaign, so that way we can try to get that into some other stores. But right now, at its very infancy, it's available mainly online and uh, locally here in Massachusetts in a couple of stores.
0: Now you're on Twitter as well.
2: I am. I uh, I have uh, two separate accounts. I'm ha- having a lot of fun with the Twitter process. So I have my own account, which is F, the letter F, as in Fred, F Warren writes. Uh, but I also have uh, another Twitter account, which I'm really kind of enjoying utilizing. Which is uh, at Josie's book, so it's a uh, it's a Twitter site specific to this book and to the character of Josie Spencer. So uh, both of those, um, you know, I'm getting better at, at uh, utilizing those on a on a consistent basis, um, and it's still one of those things that I, as a writer I need to continue to kind of utilize you're
0: absolutely right that social media tool is a very powerful tool but there's so much and you have to you have to have time to get out there and really take advantage of it i couldn't agree with you more
2: yeah that's really the biggest thing is that time piece you're exactly right and and uh you know writing as as much as i i love it um you know i still have to you know maintain my my full-time job currently um so uh, there is that balance between that, and I, uh, it's important to me to never lose my status as a full-time uh, husband and father. So trying to make sure I balance all those things in the way that, that works is, is definitely something that's always been important to me.
0: One question, one more question. If our readers read the book and they finish the book, what would you like for them to take away?
2: Uh, that's, a, that's an outstanding question um real really uh, anything that i write uh is meant to my true intent is to try to get people to re- realize and appreciate the things that they have rather than live regretting the things that they don't have and i think that if that message were to come about then i would feel like i had accomplished something the other thing too with the story and and the point where it's really kind of to my daughter, is to make sure that uh, anybody reading it kind of gets a sense that there's challenges that we'll always face, and there's things that we don't know or understand, but we need to believe in ourselves, and we can get through anything, Um, and I think that um, between that and finding the people that you can trust to help you get through the challenges in life, that those are important lessons, and sometimes we forget about that, so uh, if people were to take those two messages out of the story, then I would I would be pretty proud
0: of that. Fred, you have been absolutely delightful. I really, really like the book, and I wish you the best of luck with it. Thank you so much for being my guest today.
2: I appreciate the time, and thank you so much.
0: Our time is up, and we'd like to thank you for yours. Remember, pick up a good book and read.